Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our new guest host, Sean. Sean, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing fantastic. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So Sean comes to us with a background in, in education and speaking and a whole bunch of other things. So Sean, if you were to summarize uh, what you're up to these days, what are you doing now? Yeah, so uh, my main uh, day job is working with CP Ontario. I help business professional uh, students learn about the designation and learn about career paths. We really walk them through both the academic process, but a lot of the career readiness that they need to be able to explore all the careers that are out there and some of the skills they need to to discover, to market themselves, to build new relationships, um, you know, to build a professional profile and presence out there to be known. Um, and I also work with a company called Skills Camp that does soft skill mm-hmm. facilitation, uh, which complements some of the own work that I do. Really passionate about learning uh, and professional development, so I do um, soft skills training uh, workshops with students and businesses really across the world. Sounds good. And obviously, that it was a journey to get there. So I, I'd love if you rewound the clock and went back in time and talked to us uh, about Sean as a kid. So so it was Sean like growing up? What were some early fond childhood memories? Oh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in the 80s in, in suburban <laughs> Mississauga and uh, really had a uh, quite a privileged childhood. I mean, um, you know, got had kids on my street. I loved my school. Um, I did well naturally uh, at school. Things sort of came to me, so I never really struggled there. And um, was lucky enough to get into sports, and so there was lots of opportunity to play, a lot of freedom to play. Um, you know, I don't envy my kids and, and this generation because there's <laughs> really is that lack of that uh, freedom to explore and play. We're definitely trying to make that possible, but uh, I just my parents both worked uh, in the evening, so you know, as I came home, I sort of fed myself and really just thrived under you know, abundance of independence. Where mm. you know we would roam the streets and go play street hockey and and, and bike tag and all of this and tennis and all this fun stuff. So. Um, you know, my childhood was, was a good one. Um, and, um, you know, in elementary school, and then as we got into high school, you know, things can be really challenging for people in high school. I'll, I'll admit that I did struggle socially during that time. It's, it's an awkward time for everybody. And, um, it really kind of drove, you know, um, this really, you know, deep need for, you know, building community and belonging that I took with me to post-secondary, um, where, um, you know, we'll talk about that probably in a future question, but, really things started to come together for me post-secondary and it had a lot to do with that driving force of, you know, having a wonderful childhood where I felt part of this great community that it all of a sudden things in high school just weren't clicking and weren't fitting. Right. Um, and that was kind of a major driver towards what was a priority for me in my life as I went to post-secondary. Yeah. And and I love what you said about the, I guess, the freedom growing up er- earlier in, in, the, in the 80s, 90s and stuff of like that, right? Kids growing up these days, it's, it's so hard <laughs> with, yeah. with all the pressures and all of the the social media and all that sort of stuff. I don't even know how I, I would uh, manage if, if I were to grow up in this area. But um, folks folks are managing and hopefully can learn some lessons here. I'd love if you uh, walked us through a little bit of that that journey into the the awkward high school time, <laughs> right? Um, because I think that that could be helpful for for a lot of folks. Uh, what were some like influences along the way? So as, as you got in uh, from elementary and transition to high school, you mentioned yeah. a, a few kind of challenges and struggles. I would imagine they're they're fairly common for most folks, but sometimes to to uh, just experience it with other folks and, and normalize it would be helpful. So, talk to us a little bit about that experience and and some of the influences along the way. Yeah, I think what happened was um, 
you know, as you evolve in life, you, you know, there's certain kind of, you know, rules to the game, there's ways to, to thrive and grow. And, and I remember as I got towards the end of elementary school, you know, I had a lot of praise coming at me from the adults in my life and the teachers, whether it be, you know, success or, um, you know, sports and things like that. And so I ended up, I think, cultivating an over sense of depending on other people for my validation and my identity. And I took that to high school where, you know, people can be quite cruel. And when they see that they have that power over you, they really leverage it. Um, and so as you start to feel like, oh, my gosh, this isn't working, you know, you become more desperate to get that type of affection and attention. Um, and the, the only way you know how is to sort of lean into and double down on the, on the, on the process that got you there in the first place. And so, um, you know, I think I was really insecure and I really struggled because I wasn't happy with myself. And um, I was letting other people have control over how I, you know, how I valued myself and that, and that sense of self-identity. And I think that is very, very common for, for young people. Uh, and I, my goodness, like I didn't have social media back then. I can only imagine how that's exacerbated now. And yeah. so, you know, it was almost kind of like being um, this form of incarceration, this sort of form of being a prisoner to other people. And, and um, you know, they had all the power in my life. And um, I don't. I wouldn't look back and regret it because it really did set me up for this sort of great, you know, <laughs> emancipation that took place in university, where I found myself and realized that, um, you know, I was happy with who I was and I'm a good person, and and I need to build, um, you know, happiness unconditionally from within and not from other people. Um, but yeah, I think that was a real, real struggle, and it's hard when, um, you know, somebody says something to you that you know is des- designed to hurt you or bully you or make you feel bad. And it's how do you how do you not internalize that? It's already a really hard time and. Um, again, you know, I have two older sisters that are five and 10 years, so they were long gone at this point. And so it can be quite a lonely time. And I, um, you know, I only had wished that I had looked elsewhere for the people because there were, they were there, there are communities available there. There are people that are longing to, to be friends and make connections. It doesn't always have to be with whoever you think at the time is like the most popular of the people that you, you idolize and want to be. Um, you know, I really missed out on some of those great friendships because again, that insecurity was really driving me towards if I'm going to get approved, if I'm going to be valued, it has to be with these people. Um, and the more I did that, the more, you know, the, the cycle continued. Yeah. And during that time, were you more kind of the loner type where you, you like to keep to, to yourself and cause you mentioned that you wish you, you had reached out, um, and yeah. if, if you can share a little bit of that and then also the, the process to get into university, because obviously as someone who uh, felt like a prisoner or trap that yeah. can't be a, a very uh, great feeling <laughs> to have to navigate oh. your career alongside. No, that. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, as, as someone that is an educator, I can tell you that, you know, students simply just can't thrive academically when they are not feeling well themselves, whether it's anxiety, whether it's difficulty at home, whether it's they haven't eaten, um, whether they're being bullied. And so I found that my academics did sort of struggle towards the last part of um, high school I was also pretty lazy. I didn't love the idea of coming home and doing homework. When you're in elementary school, the teachers are always checking your work, right? So, sure. um, and, and you do, and you have the opportunity to do most of it in class. But when I'm there at home doing things independently and my parents are working at night, not checking on me, you know, it, things could end up sliding a little bit. And, um, it's easy to justify the fact that I don't care too much for this geography assignment when I'm just not feeling, uh, that sense of belonging connection. And so that's why that stuff is, can be, um, so impactful for students when they're going through it. So in terms of applying to university, um, you know, I had always known, um, you know, my, my dad was an educator and it was always very, you know, pressure that you have to get into university and, 
you know, at the time it was other, you know, it was just, it, it was just a perception that he, of course he was born in the 1940s. So he uh, <laughs> grew up with this, but it's this perception that there's like two streams. And if you go to university, then you're okay. And you're successful. And if you don't, then, then your life's over and there's no hope for you. And so there was this tremendous pressure. And he would always say things like my first year of university, my first class, a professor raised a glass and said, here's a toast to the two of you. The only two of you that are going to pass this year. <laughs> And I'm just the whole time thinking, oh my gosh, even if I get into university, how am I going to possibly get through it? I've all these nightmare stories about how difficult it is. Um, and so, you know, I managed to just cultivate this self sense of, you know, what do I need to do to get, to get across that finish line? You know, what is the, you know, how do I get, put the, you know, the least amount of energy to the most amount of results on this geography project? <laughs> I can at least get like a mid seventies to get across the line. So Again, I know I had the ability, but I but it was more just the motivation at the time wasn't there because of so much of that social uh, struggle that I was feeling and and that loneliness. Yeah, I mean that that sounds pretty uh, common for for most folks, right? Because a lot of it you're you're going through the motions. Like, will I really use this geography, history, this this whatever that I'm doing? Uh, I mean, for certain paths, absolutely. For other paths, maybe maybe not. So. When it's not down your chosen path, and it's a little bit uh, more difficult, and it seems like that the path was chosen for you a little bit <laughs> to, to go down that education route. So, talk to us a little bit about that decision. Was it like thou shalt go to this school and take this program, or were there a little bit more flexibility, or how did you make that decision around? Yeah, so um, at the time we we still had grade thirteen, so I was uh, one of the grade thirteen students who was applying, and uh, at the time it was let's look through the university magazine and and guidelines <laughs> and find the ones that have the lowest level of uh, uh, admissions entry average requirement. <laughs> and I won't mention which of the schools that I applied to, um, but um, you know there were there were a few of them around Ontario and I did get into some and not others. Um, but it so happened that um, King's College University of Western Ontario had I think like a 72 uh, average at the time and I was just above that. So um, they were the ones that I applied to. I didn't know anything about them. Um, mm -hmm. All I know was that I was really hoping to be able to go away uh, from school and not have to do uh, live at home because I mean that that experience, um, you know, however mythical at the time from from movies and pop culture to me that <laughs> I really wanted to live on my own and have that experience and uh, I'm so grateful that I did. Yeah, and well, well talk to us a little bit about the experience because you mentioned that uh, high school is a little rough and then yeah. uh, universities where you start to flourish. So so where is that path where I, I guess you started that. Uh, Feeling back the, the yeah, layers so, or I mean, opening your channel. The first, the first month of university uh, was was really overwhelming. What I first first noticed right as we pulled in, as part of our orientation week, and I know I've seen a little bit of that around still today in campuses, but I really was so much more back then, where instead of these upper year students who are there to intimidate you, um, you know, or you know, create a, you know a negative environment for you, it was these upper year students saying, "Welcome, we're so happy you're here." And, you folks are the best and we want you to have as much fun as we're having. And we want to bring you in and come do this with us to come do this. We're going to take care of you. And it was like, holy cow, I never realized that such a world could possibly exist, that people could be kind and celebrated for were kind. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was it was one of the benefits of being at King's College, uh, King's University College, as it's called now, um, is that it was this sort of smaller size, best of both worlds. So you still got to, you got to live there and take your class there, but you were still part of Western as well. So it allowed you to really be part of this community where you got to know people very quickly and build relationships very quickly. And it was it was mind-boggling to me that the the social hierarchy now was no longer 
you know, about, you know, who could climb to the top and who was the most popular. Whatever. It was, it was, a, it was a hierarchy of who's the kindest and who's yeah. the most open and friendly and positive and funny. And, um, and it, 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 it was, it was like a, it was like a paradise. And so, um, at the start of it, I struggled a bit because I was bringing that old framework and that old, you know, how to, you know, how to, if people are going to like me, then I better, you know, say these really impressive things and, and show them and talk about me all the time. And realizing that I was just, again, trying to do the same thing of getting people to choose me and validate me. And it was a couple of friends that really took me under their wing and said, look, um, you know, it's, it's, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You're okay. Right. You know, you're, you're a fun, you're a nice guy. So just let people know how nice you are and start caring about them and not so much about yourself. And then it just clicked. And, and so that kind of turning around and focusing on others and building community, um, and being authentic and not requiring anything back was just this incredible liberation. Um, it's, it's hard to describe how, how liberating it was. Um, and then halfway through the year, my parents actually got, got separated. Um, and, and that was kind of a shock to, to us and the family. And it really, at that moment now became clear saying, okay, well, this person in my life had always put this crazy pressure on me is now sort of left. Um, and it was like, okay, now I'm really in the driver's seat of my whole life. And I was fully prepared for this, having gone through this recent emancipation going, I can't control all the things that happened to me in my life, but I can control my reaction to them. And realizing I'd spent my whole life trying to do the exact opposite. There's a Buddhist, Buddhist saying that there's a person that tries to protect their feet when they walk. So they try to cover the world with leather instead of putting on shoes. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've been spending all my energy trying to control what's out here. And then <laughs> I'm, and I'm forfeiting the only control I do have. And so bringing that in just, it, it, it um, it made me really feel quite, um, intrinsically happy, uh, and motivated. And, um, and I, thr I thrived as a result of it because people want to be around authenticity and, and happiness and people that want to give and bring joy. Um, and I could really see that being the case. So. Um, I quickly became someone that I wouldn't trade places with anyone in the world. I was really quite happy. Um, and that motivation, that, that, that motivation, that momentum has continued to this day. Yeah. That's amazing. I love so many of what, so much of what you said, where, uh, talking about like, uh, co covering the world instead of your feet. <laughs> I think that's so important. And for a lot of, uh, young folks coming in and realizing, well, it, it's really the only thing that you can control is yourself, right? Everything else, whatever happens, happens. And what your reaction to it is, is really what you have the, the control for. And uh, the, just a change in environment can do wonders for folks. So for those that are trying to contemplate, well, how do I change, be different or do what I want? Maybe a change in scenery <laughs> might be helpful. Mm -hmm. the, the folks around you, uh, what came to mind was that uh, adage, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, right? So it seems like yeah. that, that you kind of upgraded those five <laughs> with the, the hierarchy of kindness around you and... Um, folks that, that are willing to see you and allow you to be yourself versus forcing you to play this role and, and being something that, that you're not. So it sounds like that, that was a, a, a fortunate turn of events and, and you end up becoming uh, obviously, well, starting to become the person that you are right now. I, I'd love if you shared a little bit about like, well, now that you have this kind of weight lifted off your shoulders, this new found identity that is truly you, what was the path like uh, on graduation? Because you didn't get into education <laughs> right, when yeah. you started. What, what was that like? Yeah, it's funny because I remember at the time thinking, um, you know, I could have gone into teacher's college right away. And uh, if I did, I would have been fast-tracked in a teaching job and had a, you know, a lovely long teaching career. But I always thought, ah, 
even though being a teacher sounds great, I would always hate the end of August so much because I'm going back <laughs> to teaching. Um, and so I said, I'm just going to hold off for a while. So the idea was, um, it's time for my adventure, right? I, I worked and saved some money over the summers and I, I, I wanted to go on an adventure. And so uh, I'd actually had won in a raffle two Greyhound tickets anywhere in Canada. So I thought, okay. here's what I'm going to do. After university, I'm going to work my, my summer job over time. Uh, my friend and I took this road trip around the U.S. And then I was going to get on this bus and take these bus tickets. So I went to Western one more time just to say goodbye to people on, on my way out. And um, and on a Friday night, uh, I went to um, to one of the uh, restaurants there and I ran into my future wife. And so I ended up going to BC. <laughs> so I ended up sticking around to, to, to date her because, um, you know, obviously I think she was a great catch. So I was like, we're just going to stick here for a few more months, see how this plays out. Uh, and obviously things got quite serious. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm sticking here. Now I just need to find a job. Mm. You know, and I graduated with like sort of a little arts background and religious studies and was looking for just something out there. You know, and again, things were different back then. This was 2002 where, you know, a university degree was enough to get a good entry-level job in business. So I got landed a job at Maple Leaf Foods um, in procurement in IT. I didn't know anything about the stuff that I was ordering at the time. They're like, order five, 12 megabytes RAM. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'll <laughs> paste it and I'll send it to the vendor. The vendor sends me a quote. I come back, is this quote good? Okay, I'll put the purchase order together and <laughs> and did that. Um, and so, you know, that transition worked, worked smoothly because of course I was prioritizing trying to, um, you know, build a relationship with my, with my wife. And, um, now I was making money. I was like, okay, well, you know, we can put travel off later. Maybe that's something I'll do with my wife later on. So, um, at Maple Leaf Foods, um, worked there for about two and a half years in a, you know, really traditional sort of office setting in a cubicle and in mid Mississauga. And I just realized there's something more to this. This is not where I want to be. This is not the track that I'm on. And I can really see how slippery this can be to I'm comfortable here. It's the devil that I know. So why not just stick with it? Go to maybe a manager track and then take your Six Sigma courses and skill up. And I just thought, yeah. is this what I really want? Um, and and, and it, it was nagging at me. So that's what kind of brought me to the, the the next junction. But I don't know if we want to head into that part yet. Yeah, I'd love if we dove into that. Uh, but before we did that, I want to just chat a little bit about like landing that job because you mentioned, well, in, in those days, like a uh, degree was enough to get your job. Was it as simple as applying? Did you have to do what you're kind of involved with, like attending networking events and, and, and all yeah, that sort good, of stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, it, it was through a personal network. So mm. um, my roommate uh, through Western, his older sister was a recruiter for um, a tech company, I think of CNC Global. And normally they have tech positions through help desk, uh, people in the server room, people in um, you know different technical capacities. But this was a job that they were recruiting for that doesn't really need a technical skill set. It's just more of a transactional purchasing analytical skill set, um, more of a relationship building one. Um, yeah. And so as a recruiter, you're always looking for people to fill the role. And so she knew through my her younger brother that he had a bunch of friends that just graduated. And she reached out to me and said, would you be interested? And I said, sure. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty... Uh, I got lucky. <laughs> well, I, I think it's lucky, but also taking the, taking the time because a lot of folks and, and students, they'll just mass apply, send hundreds and thousands of different applications versus sometimes... Talk to your roommate, right? For me, it was uh, right. one of my friend's brothers. They they were looking for a role, and yeah, sometimes it's it's just as easy as that, quote unquote. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so 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 don't uh, sell yourself short in terms of relationships, roommates, classmates, and all that sort of stuff. Just 
reach out and, and, and reconnect with folks. Yeah. So absolutely. with that, I'd, I'd love if you kind of went into the, the next journey, because I know you, you decided to teach abroad. How, how, how does one come to that decision after uh, having a fairly comfortable life <laughs> in a cubicle for a while? <laughs> Yeah, my, my wife had done a lot of traveling, um, even in her in her in her high school and, and university years. Her grandfather worked for Air Canada, and and back then you could get these family passes on standby. So she did a lot of traveling, and just talking to her, being inspired by her, and thinking this is something I really really want to do. I want to go while I'm young, you know, have this experience, go and challenge myself, um, and break free. And it was hard. It was really hard because I I was worried. You know, I had you know, some student debt that I needed to still pay and like, what's going to happen over there? I've got the steady income, you know, can I come back? You know, it was, you know, I kind of felt at the time that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I won't be able to get a job so easily, but no, we took the plunge and we did it. And it was the best thing we ever did ever by far. Um, we were supposed to go for one year. We did a total of five years overseas, um, because it, it changes you. It changes you in so many different ways. You become so alive. You, you know, you're getting off a, tr a train overnight from some city and you're coming out and you're in, you know, uh, Luang Prabang and you're looking around and going, okay, where am I? How to get to the hotel? And you're looking through your, your, your guidebook and it's, you know, trying to speak, you know, trying to communicate with people and using sign language. And then you go and you discover this really cool restaurant and they, it's just, it's magic. And there are, of course, some challenges that you have to overcome as well. And, um, but it just allows you every weekend, we would say like, we're putting our feet on ground that they haven't been on before. And, you know, I looked at my day yesterday. I went downtown to the office. I visited a university. Uh, you know, I went over here to, to the Starbucks and I came home. Like everywhere I went, I've been before. Mm. Like when's the last time you put your feet on the ground they haven't been on? And and yeah. the other thing too is you build these incredible relationships because the people you're with overseas become like your family. They're your friends. They're your support group. They're your people you celebrate Christmas with. They, they're everybody. Everybody. And so, you know, being a, a friend with someone overseas for a month is like a year back home and so you develop these incredible relationships and it changes you you come back to canada and the biggest culture shock by far is when you come back and you realize that there's so many parts of the world and so many ways that people do things differently that you know our way wasn't always the best way you know and it, yeah and um and i miss the way they do things and um you know you miss that feeling of uh, of being so alive and being so aware and being so excited that all you do want to do is watch travel shows now and get the get the course <laughs> in as possible. Yeah, that that sounds like an amazing experience. And this is one where I always thought of doing that, but I think it's one like, well, do I want to do it at this point in time? Mm, prob probably not. Uh, it, it was one where in previous years or previous lifetime I might yeah. have, but uh, not now. I, I'd love if you shared a little bit on that the, the the actual decision because I think that's one where folks are challenged because they, they go through that like I have student debt. Can I come? come back yeah. and employed and all that sort of stuff, right? Those are ones where like, it was there like a tipping point that actually said, yeah. okay, this one thing or the culmination of these five things that said, you know what, this is why we're going to do it. Yeah. To me, it was, um, you know, actually going back to that real transition at first university, I realized, um, I discovered right really early my, my biggest fear and my mm. biggest fear in life is that I'll have regret. Mm. And there's a difference between regret and, you know, something like I made a decision with what I knew at the time. And it turns out if I had known this, then I would have done something really differently, right? Like, right. I, you know, Aaron, I will say our regret was I, we should have gone to Korea two years sooner because I was afraid of leaving Maple Leaf that we stayed one extra year before we actually left. And we, when we did, we ended up being in Korea during the, 
uh, the financial crisis. So much of the money that we had saved in Korean dollars, <laughs> right? And so, um, you know, we would have had a, you know, different experience then. But at the time, you know, you, if, you, you got to be satisfied of knowing I, with the cards I had in my hand and the knowledge I had, I made the best decision. That's all you can do. But to know that, you know, really want to go overseas, but I shouldn't, you know, you know like, well, you, 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 you got to just take the leap and do it because, yeah. uh, that's, that's, it was more like, you know, even with like thinking about having children, I'm like, I'm not really sure I want to have children, but I, I know I'll regret it if I don't. So let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, we, we just, I, I knew, I knew in my heart that if I didn't take that leap, it would bother me. Uh, and, and the thing about regret is there's nothing you really can do about it. Besides learn for the future to make different types of decisions and calculate your decision-making differently. But once it's done, it's done. And so I didn't want to look back in university and, and realize that I graduated university and I hadn't done it all. So that's why one of the reasons I thrived so much is that I, because I was so afraid of regret, I just, I went to as many clubs as I could. I met as many people as I could. I, I stayed late in the cafeteria to chat with people. Like I didn't go play video games. I just, I wanted to to just be it all. I wanted to do everything I could so that I graduated. Like I could not go back and do anything differently. And so that's the, the, the what drove me to go to Korea for the first time is that um, I've known a few people that have done this. They've said it's trans life transforming. I know that in my heart that this track, I don't know what I want to do yet with my life, but I know it's not being a purchasing analyst at Maple Leaf Foods <laughs> and it's Cuba Little Mississauga. So that fear of regret is what drove me to make the decision. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and, and nothing against the, the folks at ML Foods and, and no, no, the purchasing no. department. They're they're all the great people too. And I, I I like how you've kind of approached it from the the regress side because I think that is one of the the fundamental uh, areas where I mean when you're young, like you don't think of those things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a, a book called something to the effect of like the the regrets of the dying, and and uh, that's things like this where I wish I traveled more, I spent more time with family, and things yes. like that. It's, it's not that I, I wish I worked more, I made more money, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Those are not usually, it's, it's, it's more these other things. So uh, a good, I guess, decision-making um, concept for folks to think about regrets in terms of that. And not so much of the, if I knew more information, but more like these fundamental ones. Because there's probably a handful that you really want to do and you make sure uh, that, that before end of life uh, or at yeah. career or whatever it is, that, that, that you make those ones. So I think that's uh, an important takeaway. Now, so you've gone through this transformative uh, experience, you're so alive, and then you come back to the real world or whatever you're calling it now. Like, yeah. How is that process, right? Uh, because so after two, after I didn't you just continue living on that uh, forever? Well, because we weren't certified teachers at the time. So okay. after, um, you know, after two years in Korea, uh, we realized we love this. Mm -hmm. Like we should have been teachers all along. Being a teacher is great because... Uh, you know, if we're a certified teacher, not just a, a university graduate who's teaching English as a second language, but if we actually need mm -hmm. a certified teacher, then we can continue this travel lifestyle, which we love, get way more time off and get paid way more. So let's go to teacher's college. So my wife and I both applied to teacher's college and she got in and I didn't. <laughs> so then we thought, okay, you know what? You know, we're young and we've been hearing all of this. You've got to follow your passion, right? If you could uh, if you could win $10 million, you never had to work again, but you had to, you had to do something, what would it be? And for me, my passion was food. I love mm. food. I love cooking. And I thought, okay, well, you know, we've been watching a lot of celebrity chefs on TV. Let's go to culinary school and see how this okay. goes. So she goes to teacher calls. I go to culinary school. And um, it becomes pretty evident pretty quickly that this is a really challenging career. 
I know. Uh, we're talking 70 hours per week, you know, really challenging conditions. Uh, you uh, are working late evenings and weekends. You know, I'm a social person now. I've made all these great friends at university. I can't imagine not seeing them, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we're coming, you know, when you go to and from overseas and you're back home for a couple of weeks, like you just are on hyper social mode, right? Building those relationships yeah. again. And so I realized I'm like, this is not going to be the career for me. I mean, the, the nice thing is I can still cook and I can do that as a passion. Um, and so we said, okay, let's go back to Korea one more time to figure it out. And during that year, I finally got into Jesus college. So then we came back again. Uh, I went to Jesus college and now with both of us having our teaching, uh, certificates, it was time to go teach at a, at a uh, international school in, in China. Um, <laughs> and then we were there, we were there for two years again, enjoying an, an amazing life of travel, uh, and teaching. And so, um, yeah, so again, a bit of a bumpy road, right? I, didn't get in right away and thought, okay, well, you know, is this, is this really going to be for me? And think, no, no, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to enable myself to, to travel and, and to, uh, and to make some good money doing it. And so, um, we just kept applying, kept applying until I got back in. But I think again, this, we're just trying to trust that guy. It was hard. It was hard because I paid a lot of money that I'd saved for to go to culinary school. And I did, I didn't complete the year. Um, but it was a real sort of reality check as these, this young, naive person thinking, oh, just follow your dreams, do whatever, you know, feels good. And then realizing, okay, well, sometimes, sometimes that works out for people. And they realize, yeah, this is it. I thrive in that 70 hour a week intense. And, and a lot of people do. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, I didn't. And, and I look back now and go, that's viable. It's viable learning. You know, you're never, it's very rarely do I talk to someone that every step they took was it was a was a was a linear pathway that just doesn't exist and so i had to really learn to accept that decision as saying like not you know it's not a failure um it's you know i mean it's it's a it's a step where i had to learn and now i don't regret it you know i may have gone back and regretted not going to culinary school if i hadn't tried it yeah yeah then goes back to your uh decision making process where like again if, if it's that old adage of follow your passion well, I mean, there are constraints around that. There's practicalities around it too, yep. where uh, you you have to uh, still pay the bills, be able to get around. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's it's pursuing it and not necessarily to completion, but at least to to say, okay, you know what, I gave it a fair shot. Wasn't what I thought, and uh, but I'm still better off on that. So, uh, great experience, and I'm. Obviously, you're not teaching abroad in China right now. <laughs> so I thought you kind of filled in the blanks uh, to to from from there until now. Like, how, how did that transition came in? Because it sounds like, like, well, this is the way to live. This is how everything should be. So you would hope that uh, you would continue down that path forever. So what changed or what was different uh, along that path? Oh, we would. Um, and then my daughter was born. Uh, so <laughs> we 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 uh, had my daughter Sloan uh, in China. Uh, during towards the end of our contract and we thought she's the first grandchild on our side and um, let's come back to Canada for a year and see what happens and um, if things work out we'll stay there if not well, then we'll come back and go teaching abroad it's it's hard when you have a, a little one because um, you know it's easy to teach abroad when your kids are in school age because then they can go to the school but otherwise you're paying you know half of your person's salary to go um, and so it's not really a, an ideal thing for one of us to be teaching, the other one just be sitting at home in China or Singapore or wherever. Um, you know, it's not the fulfilling life we're looking for. So we knew we wanted to come back yeah. for a little bit just to see how it goes. Um, and then it was interesting because we were both looking for work. There were no teaching jobs in Ontario at the time. It's still really highly competitive. And, you know, you know, one of the things I always tell students about networking is it's not about just networking with, you know, people outside of school or outside of your MBA program or whatever. 
is that your peers are your network. We came back and it had been three months of not having any luck finding a job. And my wife ran into someone at Starbucks that she was on a student club with 13 years earlier at Western. And I was like, oh my gosh, Aaron, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. And they were talking and, you know, letting know of her circumstances and saying, oh, you're looking for work? Well, I remember being on this student club with you. I remember how intelligent you are and your work ethic and your integrity. Like, let's have a meeting. We're looking for someone on our team. And that's where she's been uh, for the last 10 years. So um, really want to emphasize the importance of building that network internally, like with your classmates uh, and your and, and the people around you, not just out there, because they will be with you through your whole entire career. Sure. Uh, it's it's definitely one where the network, whenever you kind of uh, been in the trenches and go through the battles and, and school is a great case of that, or, or like your, your first jobs and this and that. Stay connected with those folks because 10 years down the road, who knows, right? Uh, Absolutely. Th- th- if they remember you, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like no time has passed and I would love to have you join. Obviously, if you were a good friend to them, <laughs> the ones that you were less so, may- maybe not as, as much. Um, but obviously go back there and apologize and repair that relationship so that maybe you can thrive. In the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's what happened to me. So someone that I knew from Korea uh, that was back in Toronto was working for a company called T2A, which... Mm. was teach, uh, recruiting teachers to teach overseas. And she said, hey, you're perfect for this. You are a teacher. You've taught overseas. Come and learn, you know, the education side of it, you know, the travel side of it. And now I can learn some of that recruitment business side as well as as I work for this company for a number of years. Um, and so that's how I sort of transitioned back to to work in Canada. Um, and then we all of a sudden had two children. And uh, as any parent will tell you, your perspective changes a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife and I are, are so grateful for our time traveling and um, and and we desperately want to go. We talk about it all the time. It always it's always there. Um, but you start to think about what's good for our kids and what community do they want to be a part of and, um, you know, and the grandparents and, the, and those family things. So it's, it's a decision that's always on our minds. But of course, now we're both we're all doing six both of us are doing uh, great things in our own professional lives so it's tough to walk away from that as well um so i spent some time at teach away and then um there was a, a colleague of ex colleague of mine again someone in my network um who was working at cp ontario and said sean you know you're a pretty good public speaker there's a role at cp ontario you might be really interested in i thought i don't know much about cp ontario let's let's go and check it out right you always take the meeting and uh and they and they talked about a role in which i could really, you know, develop some of the skills I wanted to in terms of networking and event planning and delivery and and public speaking. And and I thought, what the heck? Let's go and let's go and do it. Um and I'm and I'm so glad that I did because from there everything really just transformed over the last uh six years. It was just um an absolute um you know catalyst for 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 learning development connections and career growth that um was probably the the best decision I professionally that I ever made. That's awesome. And it sounds like it's still teaching, but just in a different package, in a different yeah. way, uh, educating uh, young folks as well. And uh, obviously, there's there's still way more to come because <laughs> there's there's still a lot to look forward to. And I'd love if you kind of uh, go back and share some of the swipe, the stuff I wish on you earlier that you give to young Sean at any points in your career. I, I know you already shared a bunch of them. Yeah. If there are any that you want to like reemphasize or any new ones that you haven't mentioned, what are some of the swipe that you would share? Uh, absolutely. I would say that um, what you are worried about other people thinking about you, they don't, they're not thinking it and they don't care. <laughs> people are so burdened with the busyness of their own lives that they are not concerned with that, you know, 
um, you know, awkward thing you said six weeks ago that you've been thinking about constantly. It is like, yeah. let it go. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that it, if I could tell them, I would say, you know, you don't have to worry about having your life planned out and your five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan when you're 18. It's just, yeah. you know, like, God forbid that whatever you have planned at 18 actually works out because then you've really missed out. Uh, there's just no way you can learn everything in life. And so you just don't know what you don't know and you need to go, you know, I tell students, like, if you're thinking about a career path, you would never go to a restaurant without looking at the reviews. What are people saying about it? And uh, what I like it too. Well, this is your career. So, we're, we're, you know, there's so many different types of jobs. What are you doing to go and meet and talk to people? And so that's what I would have done. I, you know, I, I knew, I knew about teaching career. So, you know, sure, I knew a couple of teachers, but you know, there's so many jobs now that I realized that I would have loved, but I never talked to. Like, maybe I would have been a good firefighter. Like, I should have gone and talked to one and say, "Hey, is it actually that hard? And what's it? What's it like? And what's your day to day? And and what do you find challenging? And and if I want to apply, how do I get into that? You know, it's 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 these. You know, we talk to so many people around what influenced your career because I have a lot of these conversations on, on your end as the facilitator. And they just talk about these serendipitous conversations, these these mm -hmm. magical moments where I was getting my winter tires changed and I talked to someone that was <laughs> in fintech and I didn't know that was a thing. And now I had this coffee chat and I've, I've got this career in fintech. So, you know, it, there's so many serendipitous moments that, um, you know, I would go back and say, like, just keep go and talk to people and have those conversations and ask them about um, who they are. Be more curious. You know, don't make assumptions. I think, you know, uh, as much as I was very proud of the person that I became, um, you know, there was an element of overconfidence there too, of thinking, oh, I've got to figure it out. You know, I've got my job, me belief. I've did this great girl. Like I'm good for now. Um, and, and I think that my advice to young people is it's okay to have a direction. It's okay to think, I know I want to maybe head towards this way and be open about this, but don't make assumptions that you think, you know, everything and that, you know, the value of different careers paths, you know, um, you know, be, be open-minded and, and don't put so much pressure on yourself. The hard part is you have family members and, and aunts and cousins saying, what are you doing with your life? You know, especially these business school students that I talked to, it's so stressful. And I think I, it was, I was, you know, 40 when I found my dream job. <laughs> so, you know, keep, keep trusting your gut and, and be open-minded. And, um, otherwise you risk getting trapped and you risk, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket and it's, you're afraid to leave and pivot because you've told everyone that I'm going to, you know, I'm committed to this career path. You know, you need to be committed to a life of, of, of growth mindset and of learning and taking risks. Uh, the other thing I would tell myself, I wish I knew then is just how much moments of struggle and moments of failure would be the most important moments <laughs> in my life. They would build the foundations. They would build the resiliency. They would build um, you know, the skills and the new perspectives that I needed to be happy because without them, you know, people always ask, you know, the people that know me well from high school, they go, oh, don't you wish you could go back and do it all over again? I said, no, all of it made me who I am today. And I, I'm grateful for that. So I would, I wish I knew then just how valuable that stuff was, how important it was, because maybe it would help me take more risks, mm. you know, take more risks and take them earlier. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of great life lessons. Um, what I took from that is, uh, well, th there's probably an expression like, you need pressure to make a diamond, right? Well, so sometimes the struggles are the, are the most important. And um, th there's one I think by, by Jim Rohn where he says something like, uh, don't wish life were easier, wish you were stronger or better. Something oh, like that, right? Oh, oh, oh. So uh, 
that that can be something that, that the folks take away because life will be challenging no matter what you do. So you might as well make them interesting challenges <laughs> for you to overcome totally. and have interesting experiences along the way. Uh, another one is is kind of the the directionality, right? Plans are nice, but uh, plans can go awry, right? Like you you put a, um, things in the GPS and there's traffic, there's construction, there's that. So be prepared for like the little detours, the the, the longer detours, and maybe you take the the, the scenic routes for a couple of years off to uh, Korea, China, or whatever, and then you come back, and then maybe you go again, and all, all that sort of stuff. But having that open mind instead of being so myopic with that direction as well, and that you're super focused and, and not willing to to see all these other opportunities, I think is a great part. And part of it was the, the network, right? The relationships, because those can be gold in terms of future opportunities and areas that you want to explore. Um, but in order to get that, you, you often have to get away from, from yourself and, and not be so worried about what other people think, because there'll be other folks that uh, will they'll love you for who you are and, and, and be kind of your best cheerleaders. And there'll be a bunch of other ones, right? Like you can't get rid of the haters and stuff of that. And what comes to mind is uh, there's a quote, you can be the uh, sweetest, ripest, juiciest peach, but there's always someone out there who doesn't like peaches. (laughs) So uh, those types of things are the ones that kind of speak out to me based on what you said. So is there anything you want to to add to that? I think that um, there also been times in my, in my life where I was, wanted to do the least amount of effort possible, like a natural enjoyment of laziness. And for the last few years in my role at CP Ontario, and, and a bit more, I, and I was teaching too, I'll say this, but the, the times where I was the most, that I was the most challenged, where I really tried to stretch, where I really tried to work as hard as I could um, and, 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 and try to do as many new things as I could, um, those were the most rewarding times. So I wish I could go back and tell myself that, the times where you're really, really working the hardest, uh, where you really are stretching, uh, that feeling of growth and that feeling of stretching and that feeling of, I can do this now, I can do this now, I can do this now, is it is the best feeling you're ever going to have. And the alternative to that, 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 um, that motionlessness, that listlessness, that languishing, <laughs> uh, which may feel comfortable for a few minutes, uh, will eventually be a nightmare. Uh, a good point and, and a great place to, to end off this podcast. We'll hopefully have you back and deep dive into a couple of topics uh, as well. But uh, if folks are uh, looking to reach out to you, where can they find you? And, and what are some like future aspirations that we can look forward to hearing about uh, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Sean, S-E-A-N, uh, Mullen, M-U-L-L-I-N. Uh, you can also email me at uh, smullen at CP Ontario if you want to connect with me there. Uh, but by all means, connect with me on LinkedIn. And so you, right now, you know, my aspiration is to be um, a, a full-time public speaker, to be a workshop leader, to be a coach. Um, the work I've done at CP Ontario, um, you know, presented a small opportunity to do that. And, and I found a real passion for it. So I've actually built it into the program. We weren't actually doing this in our role before. And now our whole team is doing that. And we're developing all kinds of workshops to add extra value to students. And so, um, you know, having a sense of, you know, when I, when I was a teachaway and I was kind of looking for other work, I, I was kind of limited. I'm like, well, I'm not an HR professional and I, uh, I, there wasn't a lot of pathway for me. But then in this current role, I've built so many people in my network uh, and there's so many different types of, of avenues that I've actually turned down a lot of opportunities because I thought, no, I, mm. I don't want to go into recruitment. I don't want to go into admissions. I don't want to go into academic advising because I feel like there's something here. Um, I'm most happiest when I am on st- when I'm when I'm facilitating learning and I'm, I'm coaching students and I'm, and I'm helping them. Um, and so 
I've been sticking with this because there's a, a quote by Amy Cuddy says, fake it until you become it. And so okay. I've been kind of doing that. And all of a sudden, like, oh, now I'm this, I'm known to be this, this, this speaker around, around campuses. And so I got, um, I connected with a company called Skills Camp that was looking for someone to do this freelance. And so now I'm doing it freelance. I've been doing that for two years. So the ultimate goal will eventually possibly do this on my own, um, you know, as my own business or working freelance with different organizations. And I'm, I'm on my way doing that already. So trust your gut, stick with the system. And it may take some time, but things are going to happen. Say yes to opportunities, volunteer, you know, um, embrace the growth mindset, and you'll be amazed what happens. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Sean, for sharing your swipe and your words of wisdom. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Thanks so much, Luki. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.